0: Good morning, everyone. It's Sunday, March the 29th here in our church. Well, of course, everywhere else, too. Uh, But it's strange again, as as is being experienced for people all around the world um, to be hearing their church services come from a very empty building and coming through Internet. And so this morning I'm going to be sharing with you from the book of Exodus, and I'm going to be talking about the 10 plagues uh, that happened in the book of Exodus uh, way back in the very beginning of the Bible in the second book at the time of Moses. Now, of course, plagues or pestilences are sometimes referred to in the Bible um, are very much on everybody's heart and mind th- these days. The Tremendous um, COVID-19 crisis. This pandemic that's in the world is is causing people great consternation and great fear. Uh, we're struggling to find out. Med- medical professionals are tr- struggling to find out some kind of cure or some kind of inoculation that will prevent further spread of the disease. So it's something that's uppermost on everyone's mind. Now, uh, for children especially, I, I think that this could be a time of of great wonderment. What is this? Has this why is this happening? Uh, why can't somebody do something about it? And so there'll be all kinds of questions that they ask. And I think it's important for parents to be able to have frank and open conversations about this. And one good place, in fact, the best place to start is in the Bible. And we'll be talking about the ten plagues of Israel and why they happened, why God allowed them to happen, and what was His purpose behind them. Uh, When it comes to plagues, none of us who are alive today remember the Spanish flu of 1918. It uh, happened just uh, what 102 years ago, and there were at that time a, a a tremendous, it had a tremendous effect on the world. Uh, about 500 million people worldwide were infected by the Spanish flu. And that was about a third of the world's population. So in, in 1918, there were about a, mil, a, a billion and a half people in the world. That was the total of the world's population. But of that 500 million that were infected by the disease, 50 million approximately died from the disease. And in the United States, 675,000 people died of this terrible, terrible pandemic. So it's not something that's foreign to human experience. It's just that we've never really seen anything quite like this that we're experiencing now in our generation, or actually anything close to this in our generation. Well, going back to the book of Exodus, it was a a very terrible time in the history of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. They had been living in Egypt under the tyranny of the person who you might refer to as the, the main uh, authority in Egypt, known as the Pharaoh. And Pharaoh had was brutal in his treatment of the Israeli people. He kept them in slavery and bondage and poverty. And so it was a, a time of tremendous uh, loss to these people. Now, because they had been in Egypt under these circumstances for 400 years, the people that were alive at the time that that the plagues came really had very little remembrance uh, at all. In fact, they wouldn't have had any personal recall. They would have had just the remembrance of that which had been passed down to them from their forefathers about what it was like before they were in slavery. So what was it like to actually live in their own land, the, the land that God promised. It was just really nothing more than a fantasy, uh, uh, just maybe just folklore to a lot of them, something that happened so far away uh, and with very little expectation that it could ever happen again, that they could ever get out of the bondage and the slavery slavery they were in and be restored to their homeland. Well, I'm going to read... uh, Several passages of Scripture beginning in Exodus chapter 7, there were 10 plagues. And the story goes from chapter 7 to chapter 12. Now, I'm just going to read excerpts from the various chapters and talk about each plague for just a minute or two. So it's Exodus chapter 7 and verse 1. This is where it begins. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like a god to Pharaoh, And your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. So there was a very special favor that was placed on Moses and Aaron, even to the point that Pharaoh would see them as a form of God. Now, the Egyptians had many gods. They were polytheists, and so it wouldn't have been a hard stretch for them. To accept Moses as a God. So, but what the Lord was saying, what God was saying to Moses, that you're going to have a special favor and influence. Now, the reason for it all is that I want Pharaoh to let the people return to their homeland, to let them go from Israel or from Egypt. And to go back to their home country. That's what my purpose is. I want them to understand their destiny and their purpose in the earth. A destiny and purpose that has been for so long lost. And the people really have very little understanding of what it is. I want them to be free from slavery. I want them to know who they really are. And more important than that, who I am. Well, um, that's still God's purpose today. Uh, humankind finds itself in all kinds of slavery and entanglements, all kinds of sin that produce all sorts of complications in our lives. And it's, it's perilous, really. So many uh, various kinds of things that happen in this world that are wrong, various forms of slavery. Uh, even in, in homes and in families where there can be uh, abuse, physical abuse of children or or wives or spouses, so so this can be something that is very very pertinent to who we are today and how we experience life. And you might find that there's uh, you're enslaved enslaved to something some habit that you find very difficult to break, and it just kind of controls you. And it could be anything. It could be anger. It could be some kind of addiction. Well, the purpose of God is for you to come to know him in such a way that you come to understand what his destiny for your life is, for what his purpose is for your life, and how truly wonderful that is. So the scripture goes on and it says, "'But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt,' he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So one of the things that God is saying is that he would demonstrate clear evidence of his existence. That he is the one true God. And all of the various gods that the Egyptians worshiped were really false gods. They they just really, uh, uh, there was no no real uh, truth in worshiping them. So, the the sad thing, one of the sad things about all this, is that Pharaoh, it says, God would harden his heart and uh, he would not let the people go. He would struggle. So one plague would come and then another, and and, uh, Pharaoh was saying, I'm going to let them go. Yes, you can go, Moses, take your people with you, get out of Egypt. But then he would change his mind. Uh, There would be economic reasons for that. Uh, These people, uh, the the Israelis, were slaves, and so they they really were a part of driving the workforce of, of Egypt. And so he really didn't want to let them go. Uh, They serve so many purposes for his people. Well, um, God wanted Pharaoh to know, and he wanted everyone to know, that his purposes would prevail. That though Pharaoh would harden his heart and refuse to let the people of Israel go, that eventually, after plague after plague, the purposes of God would prevail. So, as we're in this present moment in history, we know that the same thing is true. God's purposes will prevail. He will have his people free. And uh, there are so many bright prospects for those who put their faith and trust in God, put their faith and trust in Jesus. Well, the first plague that came was the plague of blood. And the Egyptians had a, a god by the name of Happy. He was H-A-P-I. He was the god of the Nile. So they believed that there was a god that, uh, if the, that should be worshipped when it came to reverencing and, and appreciating the, all the benefits of the Nile River. One of them, of course, was water. And here's what it says. The Lord says, said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now you have not listened And this is what the Lord says: By this you will know that I am the Lord. And with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. Well, um, this was really quite an amazing uh, thing that uh, that happened. Um, The uh, the the purpose uh, a purpose that's expressed here. is Moses said to Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go so that they can come into the wilderness. They can come from the place where they are and into the wilderness, which wasn't a great place to be, but so that they would learn to worship me. And the idea of worship is to come into a relationship with God, to come into a relationship where you know him personally. He wanted the people of Israel to have a personal relationship with him, to know him intimately. So to take them out of slavery and into the wilderness may not seem like a great venue for this to happen, but what would take place in the wilderness time and time again is that God would unmistakably show his power, his love for them, and his provision for them. And the stories that go through the rest of the book of Exodus, as you, as you see just how Powerfully and wonderfully, God provided and protected for and protected His people in the wilderness. So when we similarly, so when we go through things in our lives that uh, are troubling, it's like we're living in a wilderness. Wilderness. It's, it's maybe like how we're experiencing life right now with this pandemic, or for so many other reasons, where you just don't see any. Anything happening that will provide for your needs or your life, there can be so many disappointments, uh, so many broken homes, so many things that cause economic collapse and fear. Uh, so, So life can be like a wilderness, but the promise of God is that he is with us. And just as he wanted to show the nation of Israel what it was like to truly worship him, so he wants to show us today to have a relationship with him where we are confident in his provision for us. And I pray that on your life this morning. I pray that you would just, in these days of uncertainty, find a closeness to God that just leaves all your, your worry and your pain, and you're able to find a confident trust in him. Well, as the story goes on, the Nile turned into blood. And uh, the fish died, and the stench was incredible, and the people couldn't drink the water. And then it says an amazing thing. Pharaoh's magicians, uh, they actually did the same thing. They were able to poison the water too. So they, they actually did what Moses and Aaron did. So where did they get this power? If Moses and Aaron got it from God, where did they get this power? Well, there certainly is power in spiritual authorities that are not from God. And the Bible speaks of them in the New Testament in so many places. The power of Satan, the power of demons, the power of uh, sources that are based in witchcraft or so many things that are contrary to the, to the will of God— um, and, and so there was this demonstration of power. So now Pharaoh had a choice. To, which one is the greatest power? Is it my magicians, magicians who are doing the same thing as Moses and Aaron did, or is it Moses and Aaron? And so it says that, and this is verse 23 of chapter 7, that Pharaoh turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. So here is this Nile River turning into blood and and uh it, it had been caused by first of all what Moses and Aaron did but even with that uh it did not he did not take this to heart. It's such a sad thing that we can see all kinds of evidence in the world of the existence of God, of his purposes, and, and yet we can just refuse to take them to heart and find some other reason for the cause or uh, for the things that happened. Well, the second plague was a plague of frogs. Now, there was a a god in Egypt uh, called Hecate, and uh, he was the god of fertility Uh and, and had the head of a frog. So this God was worshipped. The image of this God um, uh, included a frog's head. And this is what we read in, in the 8th chapter, verses 1 to 4. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that, so that they may worship me. And if you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs on your whole country and the nile will teem with frogs they will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed into your house into the houses of the officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials well it happened And as you read on down into verse 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the, the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. And so Moses prays, and the plague ends. Just as quickly as it came, it ended. But then it says, Pharaoh again hardened his heart. You know, it's often true that we... We turn to God when we're in the time of great crisis, when there's some terrible tragedy that's happened in our family, or the uh, death of a loved one, or a friend, or something that is of great loss, and we cry out to God, uh, and, God, will you help me? And people will ask me to pray for them. I'm in this crisis. And and uh, will you pray for me? And so, of course we do. And God is very gracious and very and wonderfully will minister to a person. But as soon as the crisis is over, so too is the inclination to reach out to God and to seek his help. That's what happened in this second plague, the plague of frogs. And then came uh, the third plague. It was the plague of gnats or fleas. And uh, it's found in uh, Exodus chapter 8, verses 16 to 19. And the Egyptians had a a god called Geb, G-E-B, and he was the god of the earth, uh, particularly of the desert. And here's what the scripture says. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats, or fleas. And they did this. And when Aaron stretched out his hand... With the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came on the people and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. Wow. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they couldn't do it. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Well, this is quite amazing. These magicians had been able to turn the water of the Nile into blood, but now they couldn't do anything about this, this power that they were experiencing. And so they turned to Pharaoh and said, this is the finger of God. Now, not referring to one of the Egyptian gods, but the one true God, the God of Israel. So there was a, a recognition by these uh, people who were uh, accustomed to uh, practicing uh, spiritual dynamics, spiritual arts, the, um, the, all of the magic and, and uh, the witchcraft and all the things that are associated with it. Um, They were accustomed to doing that, but they felt powerless. So now Pharaoh is faced with the powerlessness of his sources of trust and all of the false gods that were associated with it, and their testimony that what has happened here is the finger of God. Hmm. And yet, even with that kind of information, Pharaoh hardens his heart. I think of the Psalms and how the psalmist said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? So so the psalmist in his worship to God, as he looked at the vastness of the heavens, he said it was just finger play for God. It would be like a child uh, with finger painting and uh, some of the uni- unique things that a child could produce just with painting with their fingers. Well, the finger of God produced more than uh, just some art, but it produced all of the order of creation. And, and so he's so far above his, the work of his fingers, his creation. And it's amazing that he would come to uh, to Pharaoh and say to him, uh, listen, I, I want you to understand that what's happening with these plagues is just the finger of God. You really need to pay attention. Well, um, then the, we come to the next plague, uh, which is the plague of flies. This is the, um, the fourth plague. And the Egyptians had a god called Kepti who was the God of creation. He was the God of the sun and of rebirth. So they believed in rebirth uh, in the sense that you were here in one form and then you would return in another form. And so they had uh, the God of um, creation and the form of the God um, was um, uh, what, what is going to be taking place next. So it's in verse 20, uh, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. And if you do not let my people go, I will send swarms of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies even to the ground and even the ground will be covered by them. well, uh that was a terrible plague. <laughs> no one likes flies, and uh when we see flies on our windows, we take a fly swatter or somewhere else in the house, but imagine to have a plague of them. they're everywhere and so uh on in the twenty second verse, it says, "But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. This is what Moses is saying to Pharaoh. Where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I am the Lord, and, I, and uh, I am the Lord in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. So, uh, it. Uh, What's amazing is that often when we're, we're experiencing things like pandemics, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian you're not or not a Christian. Uh, the, the plague is just everywhere. And uh, pe- people, no matter how, how great their faith is in God, can be just as subject to it. Um, and people can die. But what God is showing Moses here and showing Pharaoh is that there is a distinction. The flies, which were a curse... Uh, coming on the people, would not befall the people of God, the people of Israel. They, they were living in Goshen, which was a part of the the, um, the land of Egypt or attached to the land of Egypt. So uh, we, we recognize that though we as Christians, as believers in Jesus, live in this world, and we too can be subject to things like sickness or and death, we die. Uh, The Bible says we have eternal life in Christ, but nonetheless, there is a transition from this life, from mortality into immortality. So it's not like there's an immediate manifestation of all of the provisions of God for us. And so yet there is a distinct and clear difference between the provisions that God has for the believer and uh, as opposed to those that aren't believing so when you put your faith in Christ when i put my faith in Christ there is a protection there is a divine protection and covering that he has for our lives and you can express your faith and you can say to god and and be true to his word god keep me from this this pandemic protect me, protect my house, protect my my people and and add faith, add a, a conscious calling on God as well as all of the other things that we 're doing, keeping the distance and and uh, making sure we wash our hands and we 're doing all the things that uh, we 're being instructed to do in order to to uh, avert the spread of this virus. And yet you can add so much more to the natural protections by putting your faith and trust in God. But even though Pharaoh saw that there was a particular blessing upon the people of God, he still hardened his heart and he would not let his people, the people of God, go. And that's really pro- uh, probably the—I mean—it was all tragic. But for Pharaoh to repeatedly harden his heart, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to to harden for a person to harden their heart? Well, the heart is is very much the central the center of a person a person's emotions or feelings. It 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 includes the very innermost of their being. It's uh, sometimes referred to as the person's spirit, that part that can be be alive to God and have relationship with him. But when we harden our hearts, when we refuse the overtures of God to us, where he would call us and woo us and provide for us, uh, maybe you were born into a home where your mom and dad took you to church and, and taught you the scriptures and taught you faith in God. And perhaps you even uh, gave your life to Christ and said, I, I want to follow you. I believe in you. But then things happen and you drift away. And every time you make a conscious choice to say no to God, it's like it's harder and harder and harder to to turn back. In fact, the Bible says that the way of the backslider is hard. It's not impossible, but it's hard. We can turn our hearts so god uh, from God so much that that we lose a consciousness of him or of His love to us of him calling us into a place of relationship of worship to him where true value is found, and that's part of what worship is about it's what is worth while and to be able to connect with that which is. That has worth, and of course, the the person who is the ultimate worth is God, and we we worship Him. Well, uh, let's go on. <laughs> There's a the next plague comes, and it's the plague that happens to livestock, and the Egyptians had a god by the name of Hathor, and he was the god of love and protection, and he he was the, his uh, the The image of him or the idol had the head of a cow. And this is what it says. The Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field. On your horses, your donkeys, and your camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And this happened. And yet it says that uh, his heart was unyielding. Referring to Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the people go. So there was a, a summons for him to yield, to let go. Uh, the, the antidote to a hard heart is to start to yield, to let go, to, to stop hanging on to the things that grip you, the habits, the, the ideas, the feelings, to, to let them go, to let God help you, uh, resolve them and to turn from them. And there can be so many things in a person's life that causes their emotions, their thoughts to be impaired by their life experiences. But if you let go, if you'll yield, God says, that's when help really takes place. And the sixth plague is the plague of boils. And the Egyptians had a God called Isis. It sounds like <laughs> Isis that we know of today, I-S-I-S. And he was the God of medicine and peace. And it says in chapter 9, verse 8, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, and festering boils will break out on the people and the animals throughout the land. And so the, the trust that the Egyptians had in their God of medicine It would just be proven to be a false trust because he was a false god, as was the case in all of the other gods they worshipped. But then again, it says in verse 12, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. Well, the next plague is the plague of hail. And it's found in Exodus chapter 9. Uh, and there was a god, N-U-T, nut. Uh, so whatever. He was the god of the sky, the Egyptian god of the sky. So they, they believed that there was a god that they had to worship, um, that he would protect them from terrible storms and uh, terrible uh, natural phenomenon. And here's what The Lord said to Moses, Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. The Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all of the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. What's amazing here is that God is saying to to Pharaoh, this person who is so resistant of every every effort of God to reach him, he said, I've actually uh raised you up. My desire is for you to have a relationship with me too. I I, I have purposed for you to be able to be a great influence in Egypt and uh uh, and I want to show you my power and that my, my name m- might be proclaimed not in just Israel, but in all the earth. That's always been the purpose of God. So here is God saying to, uh, to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I don't hate you. In fact, I love you. And I want to show you my blessing just as much as I do on the nation of Israel. Wow, that's still true today. God is not willing that any would perish, the Bible says in the New Testament, but that everyone would come to a repentance, a turnaround, a place where their life is changed. And so uh, we'll just move on here. The uh, eighth plague, the plague of locusts, and the Egyptians had a God by the name of Seth. And uh, it uh, We read it in Exodus 10, verses 3 to 6. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Notice how every time that's repeated. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts into your country tomorrow, and they will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. And they will fill your houses and those of all of your officials and all of the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. And then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. So here's a, an announcement that it should have caused anybody to be tremendously afraid, uh, tremendously respectful. Uh, Pharaoh... Pharaoh wasn't, and it says in verse 16 that he quickly summoned Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God to take this deadly plague away from me. Now, this was the second time that Pharaoh confesses that he has sinned against the God that Moses and Aaron served, the true and the living God. I have sinned against God and against you. Please forgive me. Well, they pray, and the locusts, a wind comes and blows them all away, and yet he still, still hardens his heart. Wow. The ninth plague. By the way, before we just go into that one, how many times have, do we do that? We we confess our sin to God and we say, God, I've I've done wrong. I've done this. I shouldn't have done it. And will you forgive me? Will you help me? And um, uh, then we just go back and we fall into the same patterns. Well, does that mean God isn't there or God won't help? Well, no, it means two things. One is the terrible power of sin. It is very gripping and can hold us. But the second is the greater power of God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, where sin abounds, the grace of God does much more abound. So it's not just a casual saying, I'm sorry, or coming to the front of a church and saying, I accept Jesus as my savior, and then walking away and uh, going back into the same old life patterns. No, it's it's a separation It begins with opening your heart to Christ through repentance and asking for his forgiveness. But then it's a day by day walk where you will find struggles, you will find uh, temptations. But God has sent his spirit here to help you overcome every trial and temptation. And that's one of the reasons the church exists, why there are brothers and sisters in faith in the family of God who will reach out to help you. So, yes, uh, we need to repent. But then we can't just simply walk away. It begins a life of dependence and trust in God. Well, the ninth plague. Uh, The Egyptians had a god, uh, R.A., Ra, the sun god. And uh, here's what um, they just worshipped this god. He was provided light for them. And it says in Exodus 10, verse 21, The Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt, darkness that can be felt. Wow. I mean, I don't know what that's like. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days, and no one could see anything else or move about for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light and the places where they lived. So again, the provision of God. And the New Testament talks about darkness and light, that men love darkness because their, their deeds are evil. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's referring to Jesus, uh, we have forgiveness. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin and helps us to continue in a path where, in fact, the Bible says the path of the righteous grows brighter every day. And that is a powerful promise. But here in this plague came darkness. And uh, so again, uh, Moses, uh, we go on to read in verse 27. It says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. And Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day that you see my face, you will die. And Moses said, just as you say I will never appear before you again. Well, that was the ninth plague, one more to go. and this is the last one. And it was the uh, the plague of death, the plague that came upon the firstborn in all of Egypt. And it says this in the 12th, um, in the eleventh chapter of the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people uh, that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. And the Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. This is really amazing. Uh, it seems like the only person who hated Moses in Israel was Pharaoh. Even the officials uh, held him in high esteem, and the people did. And so whenever the nation of Israel would go to their Egyptian neighbors and they'd say, listen, we're leaving and we need some resources. And so will you give us some gold and silver and some of the things that we will need for our journey? And the people complied willingly, not forcibly. Uh, they just gave to the people. And, and so uh, in the fourth verse, it says, this is what the Lord says. And he actually ends up uh, confronting Pharaoh one more time. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the f- firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her handmill and all the firstborn of cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal, which simply means there would be nothing to bark at. There would be no death. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, (laughs) left Pharaoh. So, Moses had a little bit of a struggle with anger. You might call it righteous anger, but this was a, a powerful plea. And uh, it was born out of, uh, of a passion that just was raging within Moses. Uh, Pharaoh, this is your last chance. Unless you comply with what God has requested to let my people go, uh, there will come this terrible plague of death. And it will, it will come to your house as well. And uh, it says that the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. So Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. Well, what was God's purpose? He wanted to demonstrate his wonders and his power in Egypt. He wasn't trying or uh, causing Egypt to miss out on the promises and provisions of God. He was extending his love and his grace and purposes to these folks that worshipped all kinds of gods. And yet Pharaoh's heart, and and this one man, by his own willful rejection of God's um, overtures, his appeals to him, caused so much devastation for so many innocent people. We sometimes um, we look at things that have happened throughout history, some of the great wars, um, people like Adolf Hitler, the terrible, terrible destruction of World War II, how one man or a few men can cause so much devastation in the world. Estimates are there are 60 to 70 million people that died in World War II. And so one man's influence is great. And, and this behooves us, especially as for our families, for, for fathers, for uh, people in places of influence, political leaders, just uh, any one of us that has the, the ability to either bless or to hurt somebody, that when we hurt someone, it can have devastating effects. So this is what happened. God said to Moses, tell the people of Israel, to take a lamb and to slay the lamb as a sacrifice, there there was going to be um, something called the taking of the responsibility of all of the evil and sin that had been done and to place it on another person or in this case an animal and in that transaction in that taking the blood of an animal, uh, there would be a, a grace, a forgiveness, uh, something that God would do that could only happen through the death of a substitute. And so the animal was to be that substitute. And God said to Moses, tell the people to take, uh, take blood and up along the doorposts of the door of the dwelling." and across the lintel, or what we might say is the header, across the top of the door. So around the, to surround the threshold of a dwelling, make sure there's blood. And when the angel of death passes through the land of Egypt, on those dwellings where the blood has been applied, there would be no death. And so Israel obeyed. And in that, in that night, the terrible, terrible reality of the judgment of God coming to its fullness for that time happened. And there was a wailing and a crying and, a, and just a, a screaming throughout all of the land of Egypt because of the terrible, terrible thing that had happened. And God had warned Pharaoh, and yet he hadn't warned his people. And so there was this terrible result that took place. And so, since that time, the nation of Israel, um, because they did escape, and there's a whole story uh, that follows. It wasn't an easy escape. They faced the the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army came after them. And so, that's a totally different story. But again, God miraculously, miraculously provided for them, and again sent judgment on the nation of Israel for coming against His people. Well, the Phenomenal deliverance. The phenomenal rescue by God through the hands of Moses and Aaron for his people who had been locked into bondage for 400 years. They had been slaves. Now they escaped. They were set free and the judgment of God had come to its final end on Pharaoh and the Egyptians of that time. Today, even today, the nation of Israel celebrates what is called the Passover. So when I see the blood on the, on the doorposts and the lintels of your, your dwelling places, I will pass over you and you will be saved. So they refer to it as Passover. And today, to, still to this day, in fact, uh, in Israel uh, in 2020, the Passover is between April 8th and 15th. It's a, it lasts for seven days, finishes on the eighth day. Uh, and uh, the beginning of the Passover and the end is a national holiday. Tourists come uh, to Israel, uh, probably not this year so much, but it's a time of great celebration. On the intervening days between the first and the last day, it's a time where people take holidays, celebrate family, Um and it all goes back to this passage of Scripture that we read today about how God delivered his people. We come to the New Testament, and with this I'm going to close. It's my last Scripture. It says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 7 to 8, For Christ, our Passover lamb. Christ, our Passover Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Well, what is that? How do we celebrate that? Well, the communion is a celebration of that. It's the bread which represents the body of Christ and the wine that represents his blood. Christ is our Passover. And all the things that God purposed to do for Israel in this in the plagues that were sent a, a, against Egypt that culminated in the Passover, the first Passover, with the blood of the lamb as a sacrifice spread on the, the doorposts and the lintels of, of the thresholds, of God's people, just as that happened, then Christ today is our Passover, and he sacrificed his life for us. So all of the things we see, the purposes of God for Israel at the time of the uh, Egyptian bondage is true today. He wants us to come and worship him, to know him, to have relationship with him. To come out of the slavery and the bondage and the sin that we might be living in. And even though the, that the sojourn from there to the final resting place of God's people might be through a wilderness where there's trials and there's temptations and there's battles to fight, God will miraculously provide. He will show his love and care and pour out his grace upon us, upon you today as you listen to this. You're not alone. You have the power and the presence of Jesus. He is your Passover. He is your source of protection. He is your source of forgiveness, of eternal life. God's purposes will not be thwarted in the earth, but God is in control. He's in control of your life now and for eternity. And so we give God praise and thanks for that today. If you have not chosen to follow Jesus, but, and I, I pray that you wouldn't have hardened your heart, but if you have, if you've heard the gospel before, maybe you just dismissed it for whatever reason, uh, I pray that today you will allow the Holy Spirit and the word of God that has been shared today to soften your heart and cause you to be able to know the grace and the love of Jesus and forgiveness. Today, he wants to be your Savior and Lord. And all you need to do is pray this simple prayer with me. Uh, And if you would like to, you could just follow me as I pray. Dear Jesus, I thank thank you that you are my Passover, that you died for me, that you gave your life for me, but then you rose again. And death couldn't hold you. But when you rose, you rose triumphantly over sin, evil, the devil, death, all the trials that I go through, all the temptations I face. Lord, you have done all that for me, amazingly, because you love me. And I accept you today as my Savior and Lord. And if you're a believer today, and for everyone listening, um, This is not a time for fear. It's a time for faith. This is a time to pray for those that are in need, for the first responders, for those who are doctors and nurses and medical staff who are putting their lives at risk, and not just in uh, uh, our medical community, but so many others in the stores, in the places of business that are essential services that serve us. We pray for them today. We uphold them before God and ask for god's protection and blessing upon them and so um, this service has come to an end and i want you to listen uh to this beautiful beautiful song about passover um, And may god bless you Thank